So if you have a Bible and you're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, um, we're going to talk about, uh, for the next several weeks, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there are nine of them. We're not taking nine weeks, so we'll do a couple combo things. But over the next several weeks, we're going to pick each one of the fruit. There are nine of them. We're going to pick each one, and we're going to talk about what it means to have the fruit of the Spirit at work in the life of a disciple. So I want to identify a couple people that are going to hear this uh, message series. Um, in this room, there are some disciples, and you're going to hear us talk about what is core to your growth, to your experience with God. This is core stuff. Uh, this is the stuff that goes down deep on the inside, and when it's happening on the inside, it doesn't take long for it to start to show on the outside. And conversely, in the disciple's life, when it's not happening on the inside, it doesn't take long. So you start to see cracks and fissures and crags in the life of a disciple. It begins to show up. This is the stuff that is the deep foundational stuff of our relationship with God. So there's some disciples that are going to hear this message here. Here's the other group. There are some people in the room who aren't disciples or you're watching online. You're not a disciple. And sometimes when you think about the fact that you're not a disciple, I bet you process the kind of things that a lot of people who aren't disciples process. For instance, you probably process the fact that some people who claim to be Christians don't act a whole lot like Christians. It's one of the most common things I hear in the life of the church. I have relatives who aren't following Jesus, and every time that we talk, and for some reason, I represent all Christians whenever I go to family events. All Christians for the last 2,000 years, that's on me. Everything that was ever a Christian, anybody who's ever claimed to be a Christian did, it's my responsibility when I'm at family events, all right? And so whenever we go, one of the things I constantly hear is, well, if Christians weren't doing these things, if that guy on TV didn't do this, if pastors that I heard about didn't do this, then the implication is I would then be a Christian. Let me tell you what, what's happening. The truth is, is that in some Christians they're observing, there are cracks, there are gaps, there are broken things that aren't yet put together and healed, and they accurately observe that gap between what they know Christians are supposed to do and be and what they see them being and doing. And they're telling the truth. They're not wrong. But what they think is that this is pure hypocrisy. That's what they think. They, they interpret it very shallowly. This is pure hypocrisy. Here's what Christians are supposed to do and be, but here's where they objectively end up being and doing. They're not wrong. But they mistakenly believe that these people are hypocrites. Maybe they're charlatans on one end at, uh, uh, after getting after people. Maybe they're weak-minded people, and what they need is some kind of a crutch to deal with life. That's what Karl Marx said, that religion is the opiate of the masses, and it helps you get through. But that's not what's going on at all. The truth is, is every disciple, me, you, everybody listening, every disciple of Jesus, there's always space between what God has called them to be or do and where they actually are. And our subject this whole summer is to talk about that gap in a way that I hope we can be honest and transparent. It's certainly not meant to put condemnation on anybody. But the truth is, is that God wants for every disciple what you want for yourself. And what those that aren't yet disciples are concerned about when they think about Christians. God wants every disciple for their walk and their talk to align better. And the truth is, is that 
I am in some real sense the least qualified person to talk about this. Because typically when you go hear an expert, you know, like you go to the doctor, you're sick. You go to the doctor because they have training. They're better at stuff than you are. They know more. They've seen a lot. And so you go to the doctor so that they can help you because they're further ahead in their understanding. Right? And, and, and if you hire a consultant at your job, they've done something that has earned them credibility to speak with authority on this. The truth is today, you're being talked to about a subject from a guy who struggles. Like, I don't have this figured out all the way. There's a gap between where I know the Lord has called me to be and where I actually too often live. And when I read the fruit of the Spirit, what it does is it gives me a chance to think about the mechanical ways and the specific ways in which God wants to close the gap. The specific ways in which God wants to close the gap. So instead of just saying, I'm not all the kind of Christian I want to be yet, when I read Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, I can actually see the kinds of things God wants in a Christian's life. That's powerful. It's not just, yeah, you're right, I don't measure up. Yeah, you're right, I, need, I have some growth to do. It's actually a, here are some of the specific ways that when the Spirit of God is free to work in a Christian's life, this is some of the ways that's going to change their life. So what that means is, is that if there are these things that are on the radar, these are the things that disciples are pressing into. These are the things that are happening in a disciple's heart, and they're not happening. So if there are things that are on the radar that aren't happening, then the truth is, is that at that point in a disciple's life, there hasn't been enough time, there hasn't been enough information, both of those things can explain why there are gaps, or there's a block in the Spirit's, li- in the Spirit's work in a disciple's life. And this summer, while we're resting and recharging and playing and having twins, while we're doing all that stuff, we're going to see if we can't gain some information and see if what that doesn't do to the disciples who call Four Corners Church their church. And we're going to see if we can spend a little time, because sometimes information and time can open the gates to greater development. And we're also going to see if we can't invite the Holy Spirit to work on our own hearts. So it can be a summer of rest and play and in some ways relaxation. And at the same time, a meaningful time for us to grow as disciples. So we're going to park in Galatians chapter 5, but I'm actually going to start not in your message notes or on the screen. I had a a kind of a a thought as I was reflecting on this message, uh, and I I thought about one of the most paradoxical passages in all of Scripture. You don't have it. If you want to write it down, it's Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Here's where we're going to begin, and then we'll go to our message notes, all right? So Philippians 2. Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, a Roman city, and a prosperous city. It's a city that he has a great affection for. And um, he's just talking about how cool it was that Jesus came with all this power and might, but he didn't lead with power and might. Jesus came with all the rights of the king of the universe, but he didn't lead exercising his rights. He came as a servant. He came in humility. And then Paul says we should pretty much, as followers of Jesus, do the same thing. Like, you have certain rights, you have certain privileges as a citizen of heaven in Paul's day, as a citizen in Rome, and in our day as a citizen of the United States or wherever you are. You have certain rights given to you, uh, some by God, some by the government. But rather than flexing our rights, 
Christians in following Christ should lead with humility. And then he says this incredibly paradoxical phrase. And G.K. Chesterton said that a paradox is when a truth stands on its head to get attention. All right? So let's see if you can pick out the paradox here. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, in light of what Christ has done, his humility, his servanthood, there, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here it begins. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. So on one hand, he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, work it out, man. You know, close that gap. Press into the gap between where God has called you to be and where you really live. And he's putting... Uh, you know, a pretty big responsibility on you. And I, I would say as your pastor, I say as a fellow traveler, as a fellow disciple, there is a responsibility on our shoulder to participate, to practice with what God wants us to do. Because before I even explore some of the fruit with you over the next few weeks, you probably already know some of the gap. I mean, if you pause at all, and if you're honest at all with yourself, you probably have enough ability and information right now to identify a handful of places where there are some gaps. When, when I get to one of the fruit here, the, the truth is, as I was prepping for this, like this week, I had a moment where I just, and this doesn't happen often, I'm not saying this to impress you, I'm reading the scripture, I literally had to close the Bible, and I just had to pray a prayer of repentance. Just, I just had to, God, it's crystal clear that I'm just not paying attention on this point right here. That's working out the salvation, Right? That's one part of the paradox. That's how it begins. Like, work it out. But then he says, look, look at this next phrase. For it's God who works in you. So wait, wait. Do I work it out or does God work in me? Wait, which is it? Do I work it or does God work it? Which is it? Can I be honest with you? It's both. It's clearly God working in you. Clearly. I mean, God gets all the credit. God's the one who built the foundation for you to have a relationship with him. God's the one who made it possible for you to be a disciple. God's the one who traded your dead life for a life that's fully alive in him. God's the one that took your temporary existence and made it permanent in heaven with him. That's all God. It's God's spirit working in you, drawing you, convicting you, encouraging you, identifying you as a son or daughter of the king. It's all God. But at the same time, Paul tells us appropriately, like a good pastor would, it's also on you. There's this partnership that happens. Every parent in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. Let's forget the spiritual stuff for a second. Let's just talk about parenting for a second. You got this kid. You have high hopes for them. Your dreams for them are always only good. You know, that's the heart of a parent. And so from a young age, you do things for them, with them. You teach, you put them in school, you, you do all kinds of things to develop them, right? And you hope for the best, you speak the best, as best you can. Now, you're not perfect, God's perfect, you're not, but, but you get the idea here. You, you, and it, it's on you, right? Isn't it on you? But at some point, that kid has to begin to pick up what you're laying down, right? That's a rough process. That's a rough process for a kid, for a young man, a young woman to say, 
this is the background I have. This is what my, the hopes were for me, that I would be responsible. I would be a truth teller. I'd make decisions in life that would further my ability to enjoy life, not limit long-term my ability to enjoy life. That I'd make wise financial decisions. This is what was laid down for me, and that's really on the parents. But then on the kid, becoming adult, woman, or man, they have to pick it up too, don't they? Because if not, they're 35 years old living in your basement playing video games. Am I right? Was that too close to home? Nobody chuckled. Sorry. There's some pain in the room. I felt it right there. I don't know what all that is. But the parent can lay it down, even the best parent. But if the kid don't pick it up, you see what I'm saying? It's both, isn't it? For a person to become a fully prepared adult to engage the world and live a life and it's And the same thing happens in the spiritual world. God's spirit is wooing. God's spirit is pressing. But if the disciple doesn't want to pick it up, you can go years. You're still going to heaven. You can go years, and you're still doing some good stuff. Like, you might be 75% doing it well, but you can go years. And there can be black stuff. There can be gaps in your development as a disciple. And you can go a long time. Let me tell you something. None of us have incredible tolerance for this. i got to qualify that statement. See, see, if you're up and close and personal to a disciple who has gaps in his life or her life, your tolerance for that, like you may be very full of grace and mercy, and your bucket is full of tolerance for gaps in other people's life. But if you have to live next to them for a long time, if you have to work next to them for a long time, if you have to go to church with them... Over time, your bucket of tolerance begins to decline as these gaps don't get attended to by people when they don't attend their gaps. Now it impacts your life. So here's what Paul said to disciples at Philippi. Um, If we're going to do life like Christ, we can't be so arrogant. we got to have a certain humility that says, all right, I can be honest and admit there's gaps in my life. Like, they're real. And I can be honest and admit that it's God who has to work in me because clearly I can't do this on my own. But I have to also be honest enough to say some of that responsibility of growth, development, and maturity is on me. This is what I look for now as my kids are transitioning from teenage years into their 20s, high school into college and college into adult life. I'm listening regularly for that language that says, not, Dad, it's your fault. We've we've gone through that season. I've got a couple kids left at home. We're going to go through it two more times at least. Clearly, I'm responsible for everything that's ever gone wrong in their life. Clearly, right? Parents, are you responsible? Did you go through that? Of course. And here's going to be sad for this moment. Some of that's true. Some of it is. No, never to the degree that they're trying to lay that down on me. You know, like, don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. That's the way I feel. You know, like, like, even if it's real, even if it's real, at some point, okay, these are the cards I dealt you. Now, what are you going to do with the cards I dealt you? I'm listening for that language of, I'm willing to pick it up, Dad. I know this is on me. As a pastor, can I tell you? I listen for the same thing around here. God, hey, yep, I'm, let's hold hands, let's pray on this thing right now. God, just, you know... And, and we need you, and show up, and do your thing. Like, we'll pray. 
And it's all on God. But I know the Lord. I've been walking with him long enough. I have the scriptures. I know how the Lord is actually going to work. He's not going to send a lightning bolt into your home and heal your marriage instantaneously. It's not going to happen. What he's going to do when we get done praying and say amen about your marriage, here's what he's going to do. He, in the next few days, is going to give you an opportunity to respond to his spirit's prompting because it's all on him. And actually, the next time you're typically responding in anger, he's going to give you an opportunity to practice the book of James. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Do you see what he did there? That's the way the Lord works. He isn't going to take away your foul mouth. Boom, it's gone. It's not going to happen. He's going to give you an opportunity the next day when somebody does something stupid and normally you would like, you know, say a word or two. He's going to give you an opportunity at that moment to respond to his prompting because it's his work. And then exercise a little bit of Christian discipline on yourself. See what I'm doing here? If you struggle with patience. Anybody in the room? Can we, can we, anybody? Come on, let's just do it. Anybody struggle with patience? I do. I get so tired of waiting on you guys. I ain't going to lie. I, I, I struggle with patience. The Bible actually tells us what God's going to do. If you pray for patience, by the way, you may not want to do this, parents of young kids. You may not want to pray for patience because the Bible actually tells us what God's going to do. The Bible actually says, look at this, that tribulation, by the way, that's a bad word. Tribulation, the Bible says, works patience in the life of a disciple. So you pray for patience. Can I tell you what God's going to do? Oh, he's going to send you some tribulation. I'm serious. He will. Because what he's going to do is the spirit is going to be at work in that stuff, and he's going to give you a chance to. That's the way God works. So now let's look at your message notes, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> this is from the New Living Translation, a great translation. Uh, from the Greek to, um, to English, here's what our Bible says. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, that's the gaps I'm talking about, and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Let the Spirit do it. And then put on. So it's the same paradox. Let the Spirit renew you, but then put it on, like pick it up. Put on your new nature and create, uh, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, first blank there. The fruit of the Spirit are the qualities that God wants to put in your life when the Holy Spirit lives through you. So what are these nine qualities? Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The rest of that verse says, against these things there's no law. <laughs> there's a lot of ways to interpret that last phrase. Like, there's no law limiting them, so you should just run all the way with them. Uh, these are things that can't be legislated because they happen on the inside, even though they have fruit on the outside. That's the nature of fruit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is the result of the Spirit's work on the inside, and eventually it manifests on the outside. Jill and I used to live in Florida. We love Florida to this day, and, and we lived, uh, getting to our house, you drove through some uh, orange fields, orange groves. 
a couple times a year, there was a couple different varieties of oranges in the area in which we lived. And uh, literally every day to the house off the main road, you pass through three, three fields, right? And there were certain times of year when the blossoms were out, but there wasn't one time driving past those orange trees that I ever expected to see apples on the tree. Not once. You know why? Orange trees produce oranges, not apples. Spiritual fruit, the work of the Spirit, this is what happens. And so when non-believers, people who are wrestling with the fact that Christians have gaps, see the gaps, they're not wrong. But they also sometimes don't understand that the Spirit's work is slow. That sometimes we're slow even when the Spirit's fast. That it takes a lifetime. And my challenge with my, my relatives like this. My challenge is not that they're wrong, wrong. It's that they seem to be very gracious in their own gaps and their evaluation of their own realities. And they have an incredible ability to point out everybody else's. And as a representative for all of Christianity for all the time, I take that a little personal, right? And then I remember, wait, I have the same thing. Because you know why this, this pastor is preaching on the fruit of the Spirit? Can, can I be honest with you? Come, hold on. Are you okay with this? Here we go. Because I need you to have more of it. I'm not kidding. Now, I need to have more of it too. Our church will be better if our Christians have more of the fruit of the Spirit at work in their lives. Now, it's okay if that's what I want. It's the Word of God. God's going to use it in your life. Let me tell you how it's going to help you, though. Here's how it's going to help you. Because it's going to show up, the fruit of the Spirit... In its right season, at its right time, just like those orange groves I used to drive through. At the right time, because it's an orange tree, at the right time because you're a Christian, the Spirit of God's already at work in you, these fruit are going to manifest in your life. And it isn't just going to make life with me easier. Like, I'm not just going to enjoy you more, although I will. Like, I'm really praying my wife's taking notes right now. I'm kidding. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to show up in all the things that you care about. It is. It's going to show up in your marriage. It'll show up in your relationship with your adult kids. It'll show up in how you treat your grandkids, your neighbors. It'll show up in your coworkers. It'll show up at school. Like, like, like even if you're only marginally interested in what I'm saying, the truth is, can I be honest with you? Everybody in your life, believer and unbeliever, they actually want your life to have more of what we're talking about right now. And they're not selfish in that. In fact, it can be very, very giving to have a heart to see more of this in the lives of the people you do life with. Because what you really want is you want all the good things that comes from a life of genuine love to happen in the people's lives you care about. You actually want them to have joy that has a little more staying power than whether or not they had a good day. You actually want them to not get so upset about things and have a certain amount of forbearance and patience. So hoping that the people around you have more of the fruit of the Spirit at work in their life can actually be very gracious and kind. And, of course, the benefit back to you is when they have it, they're just easier to be around. Life goes better for everybody. So over the next few weeks, we're going to slow down, take one or two a week, and press into them. Now, when we do that, you have to remember something. It is, in one sense, God's work in you. I'm not trying to lay on you a list of rules or obligations. It's the Spirit. But when we press in, 
you're going to be given an opportunity on every after church, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I promise you it's going to happen. No matter which one we talk about, you're going to be given an opportunity that week to exercise it. And that's the right word. It's exercise it. I have muscles. You can't see them because I wear a suit. But the truth is, is I don't exercise all my muscles. When you press into this stuff, you're going to get an opportunity to exercise. This is, in some sense, the scariest stuff we can do. It's going to push you. I want to challenge you. Don't pray and ask God to help you. Because he has this remarkable ability to do it. But he isn't going to plop it in your life. He's going to give you a chance to work it out. He's going to work in you. (laughs) And he's going to give you a chance to work it out. Exercise. He's going to give you a chance to work out with love. He's going to give you a chance to work out with patience. And the people around you, they're praying that you're listening. Even the ones that don't even know what we're listening to right now. And they don't have to know because in about two to three months, if you participate fully with God, if I do, it's going to show up. And everybody's going to be better. And you're going to be better. What you need to be praying for right now is that the person next to you is as serious as you are about growing. All right? So let's talk about a few things here. Disciples have access to God's power, by the way, which is greater than your willpower. I'm not talking about just trying harder. Now, you probably got to try harder, sure. That's not all I'm talking about here. I'm talking about how is it we open ourselves up to what God wants to do. How do you do that? I'm going to give you some tools here. Some of some things you can do. Some of it is a bit of an attitude. How do you open yourself up to what God wants to do in your life? Now, I've been talking for a few minutes. Don't raise your hand here. But I'm wondering if, like, when I read the list, if you intuitively knew right away which ones identified gaps in your life right now for like the last three months. Like, as I was reading that list, were you aware of which ones you need to work on? Can I read you the list again? And just do a quick inventory. I'm not asking you to be condemning or self-condemning. And I'm not asking you to judge the person next to you or somebody that's not in the room. You know, don't listen for your kid today. Listen for yourself. But let me read this list to you and see which one you think over this summer God might want to work in you and give you an opportunity to work out with. All right? So here we go. One more time. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. So how's your love index? I don't mean romance only. I mean the acts of selfless kindness, generosity, graciousness to others. Joy. Peace. Like, are you sleeping? And not because of a medical condition, but because of the chaos in your mind and in your heart. Forbearance, patience, kindness. You know, can I just be honest with you? You don't want to be in a car with me during traffic because kindness is at an all-time low. When my kids were little, they know me. And by the way, I'm going to tell you this little story. And if you think less of me, there's a pastor down the road that's so much better at this than me. All right, so here we go. We're driving down the road, and somebody drives like, you know, they do. Like, they never took a driving course in their life, didn't pass a test, and some other behind the wheel of a car. That's what it feels like to me. And so I have this thing. I tend to talk to the drivers around me. And most of the time, it's, you know, PG or better. Um, but every once in a while, I'll call people names. 
like, come on, you idiot, go, right? Or I'll just hit my steering wheel. So a few years ago, I'm like in the mode doing it, and I hit my steering wheel, and one of my kids looked in front and yelled, so I didn't have to, idiot, go! And I thought, oh, Lord God, I'm contagious. I'm contagious. This stuff has a way of getting out. So kindness, I got to work on the kindness thing when I'm ramped and I'm in a hurry. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all right? So it's God working in you. I'm not asking you to just try harder. I'm asking you to open yourself up. And then the second thing I think I want you to keep in mind is that fruit comes from the inside before it's visible on the outside. Fruit comes from the inside before it's visible on the outside. So when we moved into our house in Florida, and I mentioned those beautiful orange groves, we, we loved it. It was so refreshing. But we saw the trees when we first bought the house. We saw them. We, we, we knew they were orange. We had no idea what to expect really, though, when the season came for the blooms and then when the oranges were mature and we were getting fresh-squeezed orange juice regularly given to us you know, from people. It, we had no idea how awesome it was. And that, it may sound silly, but that's what, that's what I think it happens for a lot of believers sometimes. You have no idea how awesome this is. And the enemy has done a really good job, especially for kids that grow up in church. So, so listen to me. If you're growing up in church, I grew up in church. The enemy has done a really good job that somehow if it's God stuff, it's not really what you want. It's just what you got to do. And so he's done a really good job with church kids of making them feel like God stuff isn't the stuff you want. But you got to do it because, you know, heaven and hell and all that stuff and you got to do it because parents might know. And so church kids sometimes get really good at hiding what's really going on in their heart. Or they know what's kind of expected on them at a just break-even level. So they do just enough so that there's no weight given on them. There's no visibility on their own gaps. And they can get in a habit of just doing the work. The problem is it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work that happens inside of you when nobody else is watching. And you can manufacture it for a while and you can pretend to be loving and you can pretend to be patient but eventually there's a chaos that happens in your life if you're projecting these fruit but it's not really the spirit's work inside of you my prayer for everybody that's been in church more than 15 years and you've heard these kinds of messages before is that there would be a revival of genuine sincerity that you would genuinely seek the Spirit of God. God, do all your work in me. I'm 15 years old, but do all your work in me. I've been in church for 50 years, but do all your work in me. I don't want to just hear it again. God, there's still gaps. I want, to, I want you to work in me. And God, I, I, I want you to give me an opportunity to work it out, to exercise this. I want you to grow me on this. So, let's talk about a couple realities here. Next blank. The work of the Holy Spirit is, unfortunately, gradual. Gradual. This is lifetime of development stuff. Right? There's never going to be a moment that you're going to be zapped, and now you're a full, mature Christian. No, no. You're going to press in over time. But even sometimes that you, like, you're doing great at, there'll be seasons of things you're killing it and you're doing great. And then the next season of life, you're going to slip back into some of those things. This is the nature of discipleship. It's the nature of maturity on any area of life. You know, you're, some of you in the room, you're great at adulting. Like you're awesome at it. 
But the truth is there are still seasons in your life where certain areas you're not really great at adulting in. And we allow that in biological life. We allow that in community. You certainly allow yourself to have that. But we don't understand that that's just the nature of growth. Sometimes it seems obvious and intuitive and you press forward. And other times it's a gradual, sometimes not visible thing that's happening. And it may take years. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 from the NIV. Now the Lord is a spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed. There's our phrase. Are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work, and he is transforming our being. This is present and continual is the tense here. I, I grew up in a religious tradition where we preached about sanctification, and here's what we meant. We were wrong. We met, here's what we meant, that there would come a point if you prayed hard enough. I don't know, by the way, I don't know what praying hard is. I'd pray louder, pray with more fervency, pray with more energy. Shake your hands when you pray. But we would say, pray harder, right? I don't know what that means. But if you prayed hard enough, if you pressed in good enough, if you watched your mouth enough, you could be, you're on this side of the fence, but you could step over the fence and you could be sanctified. We even had a little note on the pastor's minister's report that he had to send into the denomination. How many people were saved? How many people were sanctified? They crossed over. And the implication was when you cross over into sanctification, you've, you've pretty much arrived. Hey, by the way, that's fallacious. Sanctification is an ongoing process. Now, there are moments where you can have breakthroughs in various areas of your life and not regress all the way back. That, that's, that's, that's true. But as long as you're living in this skin, you're not going to be sanctified. But God is sanctifying you. He is washing, purifying, working. You're not going to arrive until you arrive in heaven. The Holy Spirit still needs to work on you. And the, process, the problem was in my church, some of the sanctified people were some of the meanest Christians I ever met in my life. Some of the most spiritually gifted Christians I met were some of the meanest Christians I have ever met in my life. How does that happen? The enemy convinces people, you've been in it long enough, you've stepped over the fence, you're now sanctified, you've been enough time, you know enough scripture that you really don't have to worry about the Spirit's active work in your life anymore. You have a title, you have a role. Your parents were in ministry. You don't really have to worry about it because you're there. When you're in a small group, you know more Bible than anybody else. You can quote the passages. So, so you're good. People come to you for advice. You don't really need the Spirit's work in your life. Can I be honest with you? That's how gaps get created. That's how gaps get cemented. Some people have been following Jesus for 50 years, but they're not 50 years mature in Christ. They're one year old 50 times. The Christians you've had problems with, like legitimate, not just you had a bad day problem with, the problem is, is at some point along the way, they probably stopped being open to the Spirit's work in them, and they probably quit exercising, working it out. This is why I have to put my head down regularly and say, God, I'm one of those again. When David really messed up, and he, I think he caught himself off guard, 
that he could look out his window, watch a woman bathe, and be stirred. That's not surprising, right? That, you know, any man in the room, that's not surprising that he'd be stirred. But I think he was surprised that not only was he stirred, but now he goes after her. And then he decides to have her, his, her husband killed to kind of cover it. I think that kind of caught him off guard. And at one point, it kind of comes back to him. And in Psalm 51, he says, oh, God, search my heart all the way. Help me figure out what this stuff down deep in me that allowed that. Help me figure that out. He says, let me ask you, disciple. When's the last time you prayed a sincere prayer before God with an honest and open heart? God, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And that's how disciples grow. That's exercising and partnering with the Spirit. And God isn't going to zap it into you. But over time, you can begin to see the Spirit transforming you. It takes a while. When God wants to make mushrooms, he takes about six hours. And when God wants to grow an oak tree, he takes about 60 years. The oak tree is a better metaphor for your life as a disciple. So your character is a sum total of your habits. And if you change your habits, you're going to change your life. I'm talking about the character of the life of a follower of Jesus. And your habits can speak to that. I want to give you two habits. The word and your walk can be leveraged to change your habits. The word of God and your walk. How you walk with Jesus. Not complicated stuff. Look at John chapter 15. Here's what Jesus said. Talking about this whole spirit working in us. He says, I'm the vine. So he's going to use an agricultural metaphor. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So if you're not bearing fruit, somewhere you're disconnected from the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah, it's true. In our church, no spiritual fruit can happen apart from God. Our band can be rocking and rolling, doing the right thing, hitting every key, performance perfection. But if the Spirit of God isn't working in the worship, the best it is is a concert. I have been in church services where the music was deplorable. The organ player, Sister Slater, that's our organ player, incredible lady of God, not the best organ player. I I honestly thought sometimes I'd look up to see if she had mittens on playing the organ. It just felt like a mishmash of stuff, like just deplorable. And yet God's presence was there. And sometimes when the performance was horrible, the spirit of God was alive and at work. I've heard people who have incredible eloquence give messages and parse the scripture with incredible precision. And it felt powerless like their words took a nosedive at the end of the stage. I grew up in the South and I've heard some country uneducated pastors and preachers with a heart for Jesus and they would butcher the English language, create words that didn't exist and sometimes miss the finer points of theology. But when they would speak, it's like the presence and the power of Jesus would just penetrate your heart. And you look around the room, rich, poor, young, old, men, women, you could see God at work. This is the power of being connected to the vine. 
That's what our church needs. A stronger connection to the vine. That's why I want to get you to read the scripture, because God can be found in the scripture. That's why we push so hard for you to get in small groups, and so many of you have responded, because when people are talking about Jesus and their journeys, and they're honest and they're vulnerable, God has this way of showing up because truth is always connected to the work of God. And when you're truthful about where you are and what's going on, God's presence tends to show up in environments like that. Oh, and yeah, people are messy. Of course. Church work can be hard. People disappoint you. But something happens in the family of God. God tends to show up with his family. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. The Lord inhabits the praise of his people. There's this family nature, and when the family gathers, God likes to show up. Second uh, Peter, chapter 2. Look at what Peter says. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Your word, the word of God, and your walk. We talk often around here about chair time. It's not a habit that you do because without it, God's mad at you. You can go to heaven and never open the scriptures. It's true. You make a horrible church member, but, you know, you know my saying, five chapters a day keeps the pastor away, right? That's the way that works, right? So you, you, can, you can do that, but your engagement with the word of God and then the way you walk out your life with other disciples, that's the easiest place for you to begin to allow the spirit, it's all the spirit, work in you as you begin to exercise out what God wants to do. God, take this passage today and help me to hear from you. Help me to hear from you. God, is there someone you want to use it to encourage me? Is there someone you want to use it to correct me? Can I tell you when my faith began to grow as an individual? When I stopped relying on my parents to tell me what God wanted me to do. I still listen to them. I still listen to my father. My father calls me today and says, I want to tell you something about your, 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 your spiritual walk. He has my rapt attention. So I still listen. But when I started asking God to speak to me personally through the scriptures, that's when I started growing up as a disciple. The problem with a lot of Christians is they haven't really read the scripture. And when they do, it's an exercise, not an invitation for God to speak. You want to hear God speak to you today? Take your Bible, open it up, and read it out loud and hear God speak to you. So the Word. And then secondly, your walk. The fruit of the Spirit gets played out in relationships more than any other place. That's where you can see what's really going on. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the various fruit and the ways that God can use them to benefit you. And my prayer for this church and for you is that this will be your greatest summer of growth spiritually. And then while you take a break from other things, that, that you do not take a break from your spiritual engagement. And I'm going to tell you, the people around you are going to be better for it. But there'll be a day not long from now that you'll look in a mirror and not with spiritual arrogance, not with uh, ungodly pride, but with a genuine self-satisfaction. You'll look in the mirror and you'll say, God has been at work in me. And there'll be a boldness that comes in you. There'll be peace that comes in you. There'll be joy that comes in you. There'll be patience that comes in you. And you'll be better for it. So we're going to serve up some summer fruit all summer long. And I pray, I pray, I pray you eat what we serve up. Why don't you grab out your connect card? 
Let's take some steps together as a congregation. I've been talking about the work of the Spirit, but the truth is, is the way that begins is you have to come into a relationship with Jesus. So the Bible says if you put your trust in Jesus, the work that he did, and his death and resurrection, and you'll trust in that alone to save you, you can have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. You can be part of the family of God. So next step A says, today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you're feeling prompted, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, take your pen, check the box. We'll communicate with you this week about what it means. In a moment, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to say, God, wash away my sins. I want you to save me. Next step B. It says, today I'm choosing to be baptized. So if you have questions about baptism and want to get baptized, the way you start the process here is you check that box. In just a few weeks from now, we have a baptism. Uh, we'll kind of close off our summer celebrations with that, kick off a new ministry year. We'll be 15 years old as a church. It's going to be a great time. But you begin the process by checking the box. Now, next step C is a big, big step. You ready? It says, I'll read the New Testament before it's September 13th. Send me the reading guide. So I'm going to send you, if you check this box, a 60-day reading guide. We actually have 85 days until September 13th. I picked September 13th because that's right on the eve of our 15th anniversary as a church. We're going to be done with all of our summer work by then. So I'm giving you about 85 days to do a 60-day reading plan and get in the Word of God. If you check the box, I'll send you a checklist. It's on you. You miss a day, no big deal. You got 85 days to complete 60 days worth. So let me, let me say this. If that feels like a lot to you, by the way, it takes about 20 minutes a day. It takes about 20 minutes a day. So if that feels like a lot to you, okay, why don't you go ahead and check the box, take the list, and do what you can. And for some of you, if you just read it 10 days, you will have read 10 days more than you read all of last year. And that's okay. You still go to heaven. But there's going to be a gap in the flow of the Spirit of God. This is an invitation for you to get into the Word this summer, especially if you're going to be gone a few weeks from here, get into the Word of God. Now, next step, D says, I'd like to attend Grow, Discovering Your Design. This is Grow number three. Remember, Grow is four experiences where we serve you a meal, talk about spiritual growth, give you some tools, and help you discover how God's wired you. So this is what's going on with Grow number three. You check the box. We send you the information. And then next step, E says, hey, uh, sign me up to serve on uh, July 6th at the Healing Center um, in the first Saturday of every month, our church goes and serves our community at the Healing Center at New Life Mission. The way you begin this is you show up. If you check the box, we'll send you the link and information, all the stuff about that, all right? Once you set that aside, you call this church home, let me give you a chance now to give back to God and support the ministries here through your offerings. Um, <clears throat> every week at this point, I try to think, God, what can I say to encourage people who are faithful to give? Because I've never been around a more generous group of people. Ever. Like, I've never been around a more generous group of people. So I, I never have to stand on this stage and say, all right, how do I pump you to give? That's never the thing. I, I couldn't do that. I'd have to quit if that was my job. But what I wanted to do today was just express to you, in case you weren't here, what's happened in this church over the last month. So over the last month, we had our first ever VBS, um, Vacation Bible School. We called it Kids Camp. We talked about heroes. And over 100 kids a night showed up to hear about Jesus. And it was free, and they had a great time. I'm still hearing stories about that. You paid for that. And then last week, if you were here, you got to hear about what happened at student camp. And I'm still hearing about what happened in student camp. I, I want you to know that the spiritual seeds that you're sowing in your giving, in your prayers, and in your serving, as you support the work here, they are not wasted. 
you do the work of planting. Somebody else comes along and waters. Some people fertilize it a bit or pull a few weeds around. But God takes that work and he causes those seeds to grow. And it's not an exaggeration. It's not preacher talk to say that in 10, 20, and 30, and 40 years from now, the seeds that you have planted in just the last couple weeks are going to continue to produce spiritual fruit. So the Bible tells those of us that are involved in those kinds of things, listen to this phrase to you. This is going to encourage some of you today. It says, do not grow weary in doing what is right. For at the right time, you will reap a harvest if you do not faint. That speaks to your spiritual life, but it speaks to things like giving. If you wonder if it's worth it, I promise you, when you sow to spiritual things, you will reap a harvest. You will. It is not wasted. And I just wanted to say thank you. Let's pray about our next steps in our offering right now. Father, thank you that this summer, while we're recharging our bodies, while some of us uh, are dealing with schools being out, while some people get vacations, others don't, it can be, and we pray it will be, a season of spiritual growth for this church. God, I pray for each disciple that's listening, that we'd be bold enough to pray again, maybe for the first time. God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Don't cast me from your presence. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, I pray for some disciples in the room. They'd re-engage the word with an open heart like they haven't had for a long time. God, I pray for some of our younger adults in the room that they begin to pick up what has been laid in front of them for years. And they'd read the word of God for themselves and they'd ask you to speak to them. God, what I'm asking is that you would grow us up a bit this summer. And we want you to be at work in us. And we want it to be clear outside of us that you are doing your beautiful thing inside of us. And Father, I right now lift up the men and women that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I trust you with my life. I trust the work you've done. I trust it alone. Save me. And now, Father, would you take our next steps? Would you take our offerings? And would you cause them to go very far? very wide for your good purpose. And Father, just before I say amen, would you touch that heart that's been hardened? Would you soften it? God, I don't know if it's been pain or disappointment or shame. I don't know what it is. But by your spirit, would you, would you do your tweak? Would you operate right there? And would you make the words that you mean to be heard today possible to be heard? because your spirit opens the heart and the ear to receive. In Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.